Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What is up, all of my beautiful freaking people? Welcome back to another episode of FML Talk. Y'all... This one is a fucking doozy. I swear when I recorded this interview with JD McCabe, I felt like I was watching a sick and twisted Lifetime movie. So sit back, grab a fucking drink, and welcome to FML Talk. Oh my God. Wait, how old was the other girl? 19. Can you believe that shit? Hey, this is Gabrielle Stone. Good book. I did not interpret that. <gasps> he did what? 48 hours? What a dick. Yeah, but have you seen all the photos on her Instagram? And this is FML Talk. Oh, no, she didn't. You guys, this interview. (laughs) Um, I I can't even imagine what JD must have endured going through all this. But the story you are about to hear is one for the fucking books. And he actually did write it in a book called The Third Gift, My Dance with the Devil and Her Mother. It has gotten a lot of press around it, and I now understand why. There is accusations of infidelity, poisoning. It's all fucking here, and the fact that it is real is unbelievable to me. And it is such an important message for all the men out there to know that women can be fucking crazy too. We are not the only ones that go through insane gaslighting relationships. It goes both ways, you guys. And JD is a prime example of that. So let's jump in to the interview. JD, welcome to FML Talk. I am so excited to hear this story straight from you. Um, I've seen bits and pieces of it online and I am ready to, uh, to hear all the details. Well, Gabrielle, thank you again for having me on, on your excellent platform. I, I appreciate the opportunity. There's a ton to unpack in here, so I will be as concise and as brief as I can be, but online and on the social media piece, the arsenic poisoning really is what has received a lot of the attention, but I actually almost left it out of the book. It was by the time I discovered it, I had been so through so much that it was, it was almost kind of whatever. It didn't surprise me. So again, thank you for the opportunity. Unbelievable. Um, I'm, I'm excited to dive in. So let's just jump head fucking first. Um, take me back to before anything bad in your relationship and in your life had happened and kind of walk me through how you got to this place. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's, it's been, it's been quite the journey. Um, met, I met my now ex-wife, uh, when I was, uh, when I was 26, we, we dated for about a year and a half then we got engaged and then we were married of all days, September 11th, 1993, not comparing mm-hmm. the two, tra- not comparing the two tragedies at all, but we had a very good marriage. Uh, I'm sure there was some, I know looking back now, there were some, some signs that I missed. She had been married previously. Uh, when I met her, she informed me that she had been briefly married to a gentleman who was 10 years her senior. He brought a le- an 11 year old daughter to the union. 
Um, but she said, I never moved in with him. You know, we were married less than eight weeks. We had the marriage annulled. Her mother would later support her story. Her grandmother would as well. And so I kind of swept it under the rug. But after going through what I went through, I, I realized that that was, I realized that her relationship with her father and her first marriage uh, should have been significant red flags for me, mm. but uh, I, I overlooked them. But we were happily married, reasonably happily married for 17 years. We had two beautiful kids. Um, and then 17 years into it, the, the wheels came off. But I, I think the tipping point for her was the death of her father. Mm. She had been estranged. She had been estranged from her, her father for 10 years. When we started dating, he was not in her life. She was estranged from him for 10 years. She reconnected under the innocence of our son at the time, Billy, he was five and they knew about grandpa. They never met grandpa, but they, he said, why don't you just call your father? And she did. And then they reconnected. So they had been estranged for 10 years, reconnected for five. I would describe the relationship as superficial. I'm, my concern going in was I didn't want her to get hurt again because I was led to believe that he was an SOB and so deadbeat dad, so forth, so on. But I now believe the exact opposite is true. So five years into their reconnection, um, I should back up a little bit. The other thing that kind of contributes, I think, adds some complexity to the story is her father and mother divorced when she was two. Her father came out of the closet, accepted his homosexuality. And I now believe that that contributed to her sense of abandonment going into her early childhood and teenage years, which they would later believe that she, you know, suffers from borderline personality disorder, amongst other things. Got it. So, so her father and mother were divorced when she was two. She maintained a relationship with her father and had a very good relationship with, with her father until her first marriage collapsed. Her father took in her now ex-husband. I would later confirm that that in fact was the case. I would search county records and, and validated that, yeah, he was on the deed of the home. And I was just trying to validate everything that she had told me. And indeed, he had lived with her father. Um, she reconnected with her father. Her father had a massive heart attack. Because of the fact Florida didn't recognize gay marriage at the time, she had to make the decision to take him off life support. Mm. Two, two years goes by and his lifelong partner, uh, life partner, passed away at a relatively young age as well. And she had been very close to both these gentlemen. And I think that was the tipping point for her, which I would later discover. I now know that, you know, it pushed her into a hidden prescription drug addiction. Uh, got it. Yeah. So again, we were very happy living the American dream for 17 years. And, you know, as we approached the 18th year, she started making subtle accusations of infidelity on my part. I mean, she would just to pepper them in every now and then. She was in therapy because of the loss of her father. I supported that. Um, and she would come home from her therapist on occasion, come into my office. If I wasn't traveling, I worked from home. She would suggest that she needed to see my emails, need to see my phone, that her therapist thinks that you know, based on everything she shared with her therapist that I'm cheating on her. And there was absolutely no basis to her, to her allegations. I said, I'd be happy to go meet with your therapist. Well, sure enough, that therapist allegedly stopped practicing to stay at home with her kids. Uh, so right. two or three years, these accusations, and as it, as it will turn out, it's a classic example of gaslighting and projection that everything she would accuse me of doing 
she was actually doing. And so when she would come home and ask you, you know, let me see your phone and uh, kind of accusing you of all these things, would you show her your phone? Were you open yeah. to being yeah. like, yeah, sure, look. I never had a passcode on my phone. So all you had to do was just swipe the screen and get in. She always knew um, my username and password for my personal email account, which I only had one. I would later discover she had 10 or 12 different personal email accounts. Oh, my God. Through the subpoena process. And as we journeyed down the, the legal road, I discovered so much that, that she had hidden from me. So, wow. um, but no, she had, had my username, had my password. I had no problem with her checking my phone, but of course I've become defensive and, and Gabrielle looking back, I should have said, you know what, let me see your phone. Let me see your emails, but I didn't do it, you know? Um, well, and that's such an interesting perspective because so many times, especially, you know, the stories that I get on this show and what I've gone through, yeah. it's women that come home and they're like, well, let me see your phone. And I think you're doing this and you know, get, get a bad rap for, you know, snooping through people's things. But it's rare that a man turns around and he's like, well, fuck, let me see your shit then. So I, 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 and this is a prime example of why that's sometimes warranted. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I didn't, I didn't start having any thoughts that she perhaps would have been running around on me until the evening before our first mediation. When I've come from a very large family, one of my sister-in-law's I live out of town. Um, I had a lot of phone calls that evening and support from family. And my, one of my sister-in-law said, you know, the guilty are usually the accusers. Mm. And that, that, that hit me. And, and that, that was the first time, Gabrielle, that I ever went in and looked at phone records. Had to figure out how to do it. Had to call AT&T to figure out how to do it. And what led you, so she, she came home and she was asking to see your phone and accusing you of cheating. When did when was the decision made that you were going to change something in the marriage and whose decision it, was that? It, well, it was, it, it was three years. So that the accusations, a subtle accusation started in 2010, the real intense accusation started in the, in the spring of 2014 and thus the subtitle and her mother, that's when her mother got involved. So in the spring of 2014, I had started working out. I used to go 250, 255. Started working out under, you know, the advisement of my son, who was a gym rat. I said, I need something that can get me in and out of the gym, you know, an hour workout. And I, I wasn't doing anything too intense. But in less than two months, I lost 70 pounds. I, and, and I was feeling good about myself initially. And then I became concerned with losing 40, 45 and 50 and started experiencing some symptoms, some intestinal issues, tingling in my fingers and toes, difficulty swallowing, dizzy spells. And I thought there's something going on, but it was in the spring of 2014 that she really became real intense with not only her accusations about infidelity, but would later add in that I was doing drugs. And so the weight loss, <clears throat> the weight loss, the significant weight loss and the working out only supported her story with her mother. You know, look right. at him. He's getting in shape. He's working out. He's lost a ton of weight. I think he's doing drugs. And um, yeah, it, it was quite the summer. And then it culminated in, in June of that, that year, June of 2014, on a beach trip with her mom, her brother, his two kids. Her mother threatened to kill me out of the blue. I came up from the beach one day, came up to get a drink. And they're standing at the long end of a granite counter. I'll never forget it. And I don't know where they had gone, but her mother looked me dead in the eye and said, if you put your hands on my daughter, I will kill you. 
Perhaps you're addicted to drugs. Perhaps you're addicted. Perhaps you're addicted to porn. Maybe it was something that happened in your childhood. I have no idea what's going on with you, but you need to dig deep. Had you ever put your hands on her before? So this was just completely unfounded to make a threat like that. Completely unfounded. And once the, once the shock of it, because this was a woman that I had known about both of them, but her mother knew her for 23 years and we never had a crossword. We had a wonderful relationship. So whatever her daughter was feeding her, I now, you know, hindsight is 2020. So I now think she either realized that there were some issues with her daughter and figured I got, I got to get on board and support her. Or she completely was, you know, bamboozled by her own child. Right. Um, And, and so that was in June, the mistake that I made for anybody that's going through anything, whether it's male or female, one of the biggest mistakes I made is I told nobody about any of this. Mm. I kept, kept it all to myself, isolated myself and told no colleagues. I come from a large family with five brothers and three sisters. I had a nice friend network. I told nobody, of course they became concerned when they started seeing me shrink, you know, but the initial weight loss was fine. But once it got down to 60 or 70 pounds, I mean, I looked like, you know, I was dying. And ultimately, I would be evaluated for leukemia, Lou Gehrig's early onset of Parkinson's because oh they God. couldn't. Yeah, they couldn't figure out what was going on with me medically. I had white blood cell counts that were off significantly elevated. I had liver enzymes that were off. I had another enzyme called creatinine phosphokinase which is indicative of a heart attack or a stroke or a traumatic muscle injury. All of that was significantly elevated and they couldn't figure out what was going on. And um, so I had all that going on, dealing with some medical issues, kept myself isolated. Summer is here and life is not slowing down for us anytime soon. One of the things we have continuously relied on making our lives so much easier is factor meals. No prep, no mess, no cleanup meals. I have really been off the wagon with my eating since having my son. And for my health, my wellness, and my mental sanity, I have been switching my dinners to more healthy options from Factor. They have 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, so I never get bored. And Tay is continuously shocked every time he sits down to eat one because they are so freaking tasty. They have breakfast, lunches, dinners, and desserts. It's a treat to have restaurant-quality food that is so easy to prepare and doesn't come with the insane Postmates bill. Head to factormeals.com slash FMLtalk50 and use code FMLtalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code FMLtalk50 at factormeals.com slash FMLtalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Enjoy, FMLers. Why do you think you kept yourself isolated? Do you think it was um, like an embarrassment of what was going on in a, what had been a 17 year healthy marriage? I, 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 that's a great question. I, I, for me, look, um, I think it was because I I was trying to figure out what the hell was going on. You know, where is all this, where is all this coming from? She, she pulled on a couple of lies that I had early on in the marriage. Okay. Early on in the marriage, um, I used to hide cigarettes from her and the kids. And then there was a business trip in 2001 that she reached back on and said, you remember when you went on that business trip and you, you drank way too much and you stayed out all night and you lied to me and told me you had food poisoning. 
I said, yeah, yeah I, I remember that. But at what point in time do we move past that? And I said, right. that, that never happened again. Uh, so she pulled on those two lies and started building the mantra with her and her mother and others that we never had trust in our marriage. He could never tell the truth. He lied about this. He lied about that. And when I made all of my discoveries, <clears throat> it was the hypocrisy that, that crushed me. It's like, wait a minute, you beat my ass into the ground. Yeah. Yet you were doing all this stuff. So summer of 2014, death threat from her mother. There's some talk about separation. We're in therapy. You know, we're bouncing from one therapist to the next. If we'd go to a therapist that wouldn't tell her what she wanted to hear, she'd be done with that therapist. We were seeing deacons at church. I was doing everything I could to hold on to the family unit. And as they say, you know, the devil attacks your strength and turns it into a weakness. My strength was a love for my family, the family unit that we had, that we had built. Mm -hmm. And um, ultimately, I would end up in a psychiatric facility for nine days in the fall of 2014. Oh, my God. Did you admit oh, yourself to that or was that? I was involuntarily committed only to later find out. And again, there was so much discovery, but the, the and I'll tell you what the third gift is in a minute. That's, that's why it's a true gift only to find out that she was writing letters behind my back to my psychiatrist and to my family practitioner. And those letters are in the book and they were in my medical records. When we subpoenaed my medical records, she sent me up. She set me up for the involuntary commitment. Okay. So she wrote letters about you from her mm -hmm. to basically what saying that, what, what, what did the letters contain? What, what did they say? He's, I believe he's doing drugs. He, I, here's, here's, I mean, there were rambling letters. They were, once I read them, once I got them, I'm like, man, these are all over the place and a sign of her delusions and her paranoia. Right. Which, would be fueled, which would be fueled by the drug addiction that I would later discover. But I started seeing a psychiatrist again, doing anything I could to hold on to the family. She's thinking she started telling our daughter that your father's got our son was out of the house. He was away at college. And so she started alienating, alienating our 15 year old daughter from me. I lost my daughter for two years. Oh my God. Um, and it's my favorite chapter in the book. When she comes back into my life, it's titled Hi, Daddy. Um, uh -huh. and, um, so she started building the story with her family and friends that I've got anger issues. I've got mood issues. And so I'm like, fine, I'll be happy. Whatever I need to do, I'll go see a psychiatrist. So I went to see a psychiatrist and it was that psychiatrist in less than 30 minutes, filling out a questionnaire that she was with me. She filled out a bipolar two questionnaire. I also filled one out. I think I checked maybe three or four boxes about irritability or whatever. I don't remember the questions, but um, in less than 30 minutes, he had me diagnosed with bipolar two. How are you going to diagnose something like that in 30 minutes I, I, of meeting someone? I, I kid you not. Of course, he would later, later backpedal a year, a year later. Um, but so I had been diagnosed by a psychiatrist. Um, That's scary. Uh, yeah. And it's also scary. You know, and that, that's part of the, the reason to write the book, too, is a couple of reasons, really, because there's not enough books out there about men on the other side of the equation. And really, yeah. to highlight not only the broken mental health care system, but the broken medical system. So, you know, it, uh, it, 
it's yeah it's, because it's it's scary as an individual to feel like oh my god this is something that I'm now having to live with that's a very serious thing and it's right. scary from an outside perspective saying oh my god a doctor who has like sworn to protect people in a, in the medical field can just in 30 minutes say okay you now have this without any actual like inference into that person that's wild right. to me right well and she was also able later i mean psychiatry didn't do either of, either of us any favors she was able to find a psychiatrist down the road that would write her whatever prescription she wanted she, she was able to bounce from doctor to doctor and, and self-report all of her alleged illnesses and they would prescribe whatever she wanted um, and it's it's all laid out in there so i had been misdiagnosed with bipolar 2 few days later, which would have been, would have been our 22nd wedding anniversary. Um, in the interest of brevity, she would call the cops on me that weekend. Cops would show up. I would make a trip down to Charlotte, North Carolina early Saturday morning to see our son, because I'm like, I've already lost my daughter. I need to go have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with my son to find out what he's hearing, but to also let him know that the accusations of drug addiction, the accusations of infidelity from his mother, are absolutely not true. So yeah. I made that trip. I came back from that trip. We had talked about separation. Um, I agreed to separate at that point. That was in September of, of yeah, September of 2014. I agreed to separate and I felt hollowed out. Like I'm going to lose my family. I was a broken man. I had endured three, four years of subtle accusations and then later intense accusations. Well, and, and I can't even I imagine just, what that must have been like knowing that you were innocent to everything that she was saying. And it's like yeah. this person that you've lived with and shared a life with and been married to for 17 years is suddenly not the person you know yeah. and is trying to break you and take your life away from you. That's yeah. terrifying to me. Yeah, and so I spent nine days in, in psychiatric lockup across two different facilities with a police transport in between the two, um, you know, fearing for your life, being sexually harassed, seeing young kids that were truly suicidal. But, you know, you talk about PTSD. Those are some of the things that still haunt me on occasion is dream, dreams of these young kids showing up on the porch of my house to, with, with guns to their heads because they were – they were legitimately in there. They had attempted to take their lives, but they would confide in me that they're not getting any help. You know, they're mm -hmm. just going to medicate me. They're going to send me home tomorrow. I still want to kill myself. So that, you know, in, when I was in that psychiatric facility, I thought, I can't, we can't go any lower. I'm at rock bottom. We're, once I get out of here, we're either going to fix this or we're going to go on our merry way. Well, and what, what was your job profession at the time? Like, what did you I do was, for work? And I, I'm still in it. I'm in the pharmaceutical industry. So I've been in the pharmaceutical industry for, for 30 years. Um, I'm still employed in that industry. Um, so you're, you're in, you have a, a legitimate job. You go to church, you have a family and all of a sudden you're in a fucking psych psychiatric ward against no. your will. I, I mean, this no. is wild to me. And then you say to yourself, how, how did I get here? How, yeah. how, did I, how did I get here? And then, then I add in the medical thing. So in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, with all these symptoms I'm experiencing and everything that's going on, maybe, maybe I've got a brain tumor or maybe I've got something physically. I was hoping to find something physically to explain what she was allegedly perceiving from me, which I'm like, no, 
I never put my hands on her. I never put my hands on my kids. I'm not a physical guy. I didn't have anger issues. Of course, I would develop anger issues as we would go, go through well, sure. this. Yeah. But I stayed in the marriage for another six, seven months after I got out of the psychiatric facility. I don't know if you ever read the book, I Hate You, Don't Leave Me. Um, mm. And But I mean, I had to put that book down because I'm like, wow, this is exactly what she would do. She'd pull you back in with a little bit of affection, a little bit of false hope, only to either abuse you or whatever 10 days later. Okay. So she was, she was giving those little glimpses into let's make this work and come back. Unbelievable. When I, when I was in the psychiatric facility, I got the most beautiful letter from her. Um, She didn't visit all that often. She only came twice. My two brothers ultimately came to town. They're they're, they're my heroes because I were telling them, no, I'm good. No need to come. They're like, no, we're coming. They knew exactly. They saw what I failed to see that she put me in there. So they met privately with my social worker who, when I was in the facility, I only saw this social worker for 45 seconds, 45 seconds. I requested an appointment with her to talk about what the discharge process was. And her snide comment back to me was, well, if you've been involuntarily committed, that's up to your physician. There's no need for us to meet. So my brothers, oh my, met God. With, my brothers met with her to figure out how did he get in here? Did he have, did he say something specifically? And because North Carolina is a single consent state, my brother brought in his iPad and he recorded the entire conversation with her. And no, I didn't say anything. I didn't say I was going to take my own life. You know, what I said to get involuntarily committed was when I met with a family practitioner, I was meeting with a family practitioner routinely for follow-up on weight loss and all my enzyme issues and everything. The weekend, the Monday after she called the cops on me and all that fun stuff, I, as luck would have it, I had an appointment with this guy. She was gracious enough to go with me. I'm broken at that point. And he, she relays all the events of the weekend. And this guy, too, says, well, his back was turned to me. This guy says to me, well, it sounds like bipolar. And if you don't go to such and such a hospital, I'll have you involuntarily committed. So gives me a little piece of paper that says, I think I may hurt myself. And that's how I ended up getting, getting locked up Unbelievable for nine nine days. But this, this family, this family practitioner played an even greater role because I would later discover when I discovered her hidden prescription drug addiction, he also allowed her to fill her amphetamines 600 days worth uh, using our kids' names. Oh my God. How is this person? Is this person still practicing? I filed a complaint with him a a year and a half, two years ago with the North Carolina medical board. They evaluated it, said they thoroughly evaluated it. Couldn't find anything to substantiate that he violated the standards of medical practice. Oh my God. That is fucking unreal. Yeah. And scary that like, Oh my God, why is our system so fucking broken? Oh my God. Okay. So you're, you get out of the psychiatric ward and you're back with your wife. She's giving you that small sliver of hope. Yeah. Where does it take a turn from there? It takes a turn uh, in May of, in May of 2015. Again, she started, she had been weaponizing our daughter. She had been telling our daughter behind my back, yeah, your father's going to be moving out. Your father's going to be moving out, blah, blah, blah. And that, wasn't happening, but her and I were trying to work on things yet. You've got a 15 or a 16 year old that's now in charge of your marriage. Right. I had essentially 
I wouldn't say kept my distance from my daughter, but I, 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 I lost my parental rights with her because it's like, okay, dad's been in a psych facility. I don't want to raise my voice. I don't want to discipline her. I don't want, I, yeah. I just want, I just want peace. So my now ex-wife came to me and said, you know, until she calms down, why don't you go to a hotel for just, just go to a hotel for a few days or a week. And I had been traveling, you know, obviously pre COVID I've been traveling for work. I said, that's fine. I'll go for a few days. Uh, what I didn't realize Gabrielle at the time was that meant you're not coming back into the house. Mm. So, so I left without legal advisement. I signed a non-abandonment agreement. Um, and so once, once that was signed, I, I would ultimately get another attorney. I got an attorney six days after I got out of the psychiatric facility. I mean, the, the abuse was, the abuse did, didn't take her long to begin to abuse me after I got home. And so I sought counsel from an attorney. I had retained attorney for three or four months. And then he got tired of us saying, well, we're going to work it out. We're not going to work it out. And he dropped me like a hot potato, gave me my retainer feedback. She maintained an attorney that she had had since 2014. So that was another trigger for me was when she came to me in 2014, late one night saying, it was 1130 at night, saying, hey, I hope you don't mind. I'm going to go see an attorney tomorrow just to see what my options are. And I said, for what? You know, just kind of hit me between the eyes with it. And so that further caused me to, you know, spiral downwards, at least mentally thinking, okay, this shit's real. Okay, this is going to happen. Yeah. Our family's going to fall apart here without me really understanding why. Right. Um, so. I left May of 2015, uh, retained another attorney, and we moved forward with mediation. You know, um, in the state of North Carolina, they like to mediate versus going through the broken court system, the backlog court system. So it was at our first mediation in July of 2015 when, when what I call the third gift was revealed to me. The first two gifts of my kids, Billy and Katie, the third gift was after they made their first crazy offer. She was a stay at home mom. We were you know, blessed enough financially that she could stay at home and do whatever she needed to do. Um, so she wasn't, she wasn't working. Uh, so their first offer was ridiculous. We knew it was going to be ridiculous. They wanted me to pay more money than I was making a year. Yeah. And we knew that coming in, but it was the, 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 the third gift with the grenade was when the, the mediator, who's another attorney dropped on the table and said, Oh, by the way, your soon-to-be ex-wife wanted me to let you know you gave her herpes. So the what? Yeah, the third the third gift is herpes. <laughs> and you hadn't been had you been with anyone else? No, and I knew even it. like even going through all of the the bullshit nope. that she had put you through, you had never been with anyone else. No, never been inappropriate with another woman. Had not been with anybody else. And I, I call it the gift from God. It was when God finally said, "Okay, son, you've had enough." Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you out of here. I'm going to deliver you from evil. It's going to be a long road going ahead, but I'm going to let you off the hook here. So for me, I'm like, holy, sh being in the medical pharmaceutical field, I know how to interpret lab results. I looked at it. I'm like, eh, okay. She had a DNA swab done. That's 100% accurate. She's got herpes. And by God, and by God, please let me test negative. So I yeah. let Okay, wait. So, so had you guys been still sleeping together during all of this? Oh my God. That's so, I remember when I found out about my ex-husband's infidelity, yep. 
the first thing that my body like panicked and I went, oh my God, I have to go get tested for everything. Yeah. And I was so thankful that it came back negative, but I can't even imagine yeah. finding out your wife has herpes and now you've been sleeping with her and now you have to go get tested because the probability of that yeah. is, oh my God. Yeah. And I, 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 I tested negative. Oh, well, thank God for that. Yeah, and I too, like yourself, I'm like, I want the full, I want the full panel of tests. But I looked it down, I'm like, okay. Because going into that mediation, I had no idea where we were going to end up. You know, my yeah. dumbass was still in love with her. I was asking the attorney, you know, is there a way I can just get access to our emergency fund so I could find a place to live? I was living out of my car in a hotel for three and a half months because I didn't know where things were going to go. I wasn't going to sign a year lease on an apartment or I had no idea. Had no idea how things were going to play out financially. There's just too many unanswered questions. And so when that happened, I'm like, okay, this is this may go on for a little while. Um, I don't know how long it's going to go on. Um, but it truly was a, a gift from God because it helped me to restore who I was as a man. It helped me to begin to go, okay, everything she accused you of doing, she was doing. It was that one accusation that led me to look at five years of medical claims, five years of pharmacy claims. I had no idea, Gabrielle, what I had access to through our insurance company's website. As the mm. primary card holder, I had rows and rows. So I not only discovered, that's where I first discovered her hidden prescription drug addiction. She had, a, she had two prescriptions every month going back five years marked private, where I couldn't see wow. what, the, what the medication was. I'd work with the insurance company. We'd figure it out. They would give me all the information I wanted because I was the primary cardholder. I'm like, I got to the right person said, look, I'm paying all her medical benefits. I want to know what this is and who wrote these. And, they and what were me, they? And what were they? They were Adderall, Adderall XR. And then I would later discover that she used our kids for 600 days because her, her supplier, a physician, a different physician, got into some trouble with the North Carolina Medical Board and the DEA, had his license suspended for a while. So she had to go find a way to get her fix. And it was 600 days. I was building spreadsheets, mapping out when she filled hers versus when our kids' prescriptions were filled. Our kids weren't on it. My son was on you know, Adderall legitimately in fifth and sixth grade, but stopped it in his sophomore year in high school because he started working out and didn't like the appetite suppressant. And those prescriptions were allowed to be filled sight unseen by the same family practitioner that had me involuntarily committed. That's so ass backwards and unbelievable yeah. to me. Yeah. So I discovered so much. I also discovered that she pretty much had every other STD out there. I was looking up medications, seeing that she was going to see an OBGYN that I never, she had an OBGYN, but she was seeing a couple of different OBGYNs for some of her some of her issues. So I'm, I'm certain she's pretty much had every STD out there, but when we oh came out and, and I, I don't want to, you know, we're, we're talking about how incredibly wrong that feels when you're, when you find out your partner has something and they've been sleeping with you. I don't want to shame anyone that's living with an STD. Many people I, I, do. Absolutely not. But it's, it's about concealing that and and still sleeping with the person that you're committed to, that is so fucking not okay. And it's a felony in some states or could be. Yeah, yeah. as it yeah. should be. And so we we weren't, and again, I, I, I 
glad you made that point because I'm not looking to I'm not I'm not looking to shame anybody. I have not been perfect throughout my life. I probably could have picked up something, maybe. Uh, I haven't. Um, um, but we weren't intimate all that often. It, it would be every three or four months. I wasn't in the house that long. But when I look back on it now, all of it was very strategic on her part. And we would get an STD expert involved. He would you know, be testifying at our alimony trial. And the time frame that he said, this is when she contracted it, was when we were together three nights in a row in April of 2015. And then two weeks later, I'm bounced out of the house. Oh, my God. Yeah. So we had, you know, we had. Um, yeah. So as I look back, I'm like, holy shit, she probably infected me. And that's what the family practitioner said when I waltzed into his office to get tested. My blood pressure was through the roof. My face was beat red. And he looks at me and says, well, she's got it. You, you're going to test positive. I'm like, oh, thank, thanks for that. Thanks for that. Oh, my God. I so can't even imagine. Yeah, fortunately, I didn't. And uh, things would get even worse from there, just just the discoveries. And like I said, we were out of the house. We're moving forward. We went through four, four failed mediations. Um, I had to retain an STD expert. All of my work convinced my attorney, you know, to get an STD expert involved because I tested negative. We delivered those results to her a month later through another mediation. And she blew up that mediation and said, well, I'm going to go get the same test he had done. She went and had the same test done, which was a blood test. I didn't have a swab done because I didn't have any active lesions. Um, if you don't have it, you're not going to have them. And um, yeah, so she had conflicting test results. Her blood test came back that she was positive for herpes one, but negative for herpes two. But this STD expert was brilliant and said, no, well, that's, I can easily explain away why she has conflicting results. So we ended up, we ended up dancing through the court system. I ended up having to defend myself at a domestic violence trial. Once I was out of the house, I hadn't seen her in four months, but she filed domestic violence charges against me. Um, and I was dragged our daughter into court to potentially testify against me, but she never, oh fortunately, fortunately, she never took the stand. So the beauty of the book is all of this testimony, the domestic violence trial, our four-day alimony trial, all the testimony of folks against me, primarily her mother and a few other folks, um, is laid out in the book. So I took advantage of the concept of public record. Uh, the book is written under a pseudonym. Um, I did that to protect, really, the privacy of my kids and to protect the privacy of a ton of people that got involved. There was a four- or five-year journey through how we didn't finish up legally until until 2018. So, yeah. And so when you chose to sit down and write the book, what stage were you at? Had you gone through court and everything was settled? No, no. I started it when I started it. The judge made her ruling from the alimony trial. I didn't like the room. The only, the only reason I fought all of this is I don't, you're probably not familiar with North Carolina. Is California a no fault state? Yes, it is. Yeah. So in North Carolina, it's, it's a fault state. If there's proof of infidelity, uh, there's, there's no alimony. You could be barred from alimony. And so mm. that, would have been, that would have been a significant payment. So the initial ruling from the judge, I didn't like her initial ruling. She awarded her alimony. Her interpretation, we'll take all the other garbage aside, but her interpretation of the STD piece was that, in fact, yes, she has herpes too. She has sexually transmitted herpes. 
he tested negative, but perhaps he doesn't have antibodies yet. What? Yeah. Yeah. Even though I had an STD expert, even though I had her own OBGYN, her OBGYN for 14 years testified, ended up testifying on our behalf as to what he saw in his examination and the fact that, yeah, that is a classic presentation of sexually transmitted herpes. Um, so I started writing that after the rule. It was probably September of 2017 that I started writing the book. I filed an, uh, what they call a Rule 59 motion. It's a step you can take prior to going to an appellate court. Because I, I said, fine, you think I still have antibodies or I don't have antibodies? I'm going to go get retested. So I had two, two other tests done, one you know, in a local lab and then one out of the University of Washington, which is a test used in clinical trials. And again, negative, negative for all all herpes, but we waited 13 months for my motion to be heard. She gave us 45 minutes. I could tell from the look on her face when I sat down that this isn't going to go well. She refused to hear the evidence. Unbelievable. So it makes me so sad. And so it makes you feel so helpless when you hear that the system can be like that. So it was disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. But the other thing that I try to highlight in the book really is it's about faith. It's about family. It's about friends. It's about, you know, finding your, just like you've done, finding your purpose through pain. Right. Um, And um, I listened to part of your conversation with your mom. I want to finish the rest of it. I thought it was compelling. uh, Very, very compelling. Um, So have your, have your kids read the book? They have. And before I even wrote the book, I, you know, I got their consent. I had a, I had a tremendous foundation for the book because after a psychiatric lockup, my brother, um, him and his wife, you know, literally were there for me 24 seven from nine hours away. And, and yeah, they, they saved my life. Um, but he's like, look, if you're going to stay in a house, stay in a marriage, you need to start documenting some of this stuff. So yeah. by, the, by the, by the time I left, I had 70 pages, eight and a half by 11 single space of events of the days and things that happened, whether it was good or whether it was bad. And so I had that as a, as a foundation, but I went to both my kids and I went to, you know, close friends and family that were involved. Um, and they told me from day one, they're like, yeah, we absolutely support you writing this book. I had attorneys and I had therapists even before I started writing and say, here's the name. They picked out their own names. They said, here's the name I want you to use for me when you write your book. Oh, I love that. That's yeah. cool. I've done that with some of the, some of the people that are in my book. I've let them pick their own character names. <laughs> yeah. 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 So it was, that was a fun part of it. So I, I started it. It took about a year to write uh, with a full-time job and everything else. Um, and then I, I finished it after we had finished up, you know, finished up in, in court. So I finished it three or four months afterwards. So we waited 13 months to be essentially dismissed. I did have another option where I could file an appeal, but it's like, okay, I didn't like my odds because it could be upheld by the appellate court or it could be sent back down to the same judge. So I was stuck with the same judge throughout my entire journey. And they're like, and my, my attorney and my appellate attorney are like, well, she's going to be pissed. And so they said, plus it's going to cost you another 25 to 50 K it's going to take two to three years. Yeah, I, I, can't even imagine what you must have spent in legal fees during all this. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm done. I'm done. I want off this, this marriage around and, and what have you. So, but life is, what did your, what did your kids think after they read the book? Cause this is obviously still their mother. 
Yeah. Um, my daughter's on occasion has had some, some issues with this, this, the subtitle, my dance with the devil. And so I've had to explain yeah. that to her. They don't, they don't really have a relationship with her. My son has not talked to her in over two. They haven't seen her in two years. You know, wow. she, she moved away to Florida right before my daughter graduated from high school. She didn't attend that. She didn't attend her recent college graduation. So she's not really been in their lives when they have seen her. It's been, you know, for a lunch for an hour and a half or whatever, but she moved 12 hours away and was essentially not, not part of their lives. Um, but when they read it, one of the things that, that they've said is, you know, dad, you kept so much from us. And I said, yeah, mm. I, I had to, I wanted to, I wanted you guys to try and live as much of a normal life as you could, which it wasn't. Um, Cause they had mom going to them telling them all sorts of crazy lies. Yeah. And they, they already had one parent weaponizing them, yeah. you know, they, they didn't need to. So I applaud you for that. I, yeah, yeah. I can't imagine what it must've been like for them to, hear all these lies about you from their mother and then turn around to see the legal proceedings and then read everything in this book. And now they're on the flip side and don't have a relationship with her because they're able to see what was really going yeah. on. She, she even went to them before I had my negative results. We weren't talking at that point, all communication was off, but she went to them and told them I gave her her piece. Even before, oh my even, God. even before I revealed my negative test results. And of course, you know, I had to bite my tongue with, with both my kids. I'd really rip it out. And it's like, yeah, the truth. Will okay. Be so coming. I have, I, I have a question. Sure. You, this whole story is insane. Yeah. Um, like it, it doesn't, it doesn't seem real. It seems like a, a, a TV movie. Um, but, and everything that we've talked about, I just feel so bad for you that you got shit after shit you know, hit with all this stuff. Um, is there anywhere that you can look back in the the marriage or the relationship and be like, this is something that I'm at fault for? Yeah, I would. Yeah, I would say at times the, the lack of total honesty and transparency, right? You know, um, regarding the drinking too much and, and, and the smoking too much and hiding cigarettes from her and the kids. I know it sounds trivial. It does. Uh, but okay, I'm, I'm, I applaud you for, for owning that. But yeah, yeah comparatively, it sounds super fucking trivial. Well, any, yeah, any, yeah, any of the attorneys that I went to, I hadn't, I hadn't, I hadn't uncovered any of this yet. Uh, they're like, that's insignificant, you know, but you, you, well, take yeah. that, you take that on mentally though. Right. And, you know, and right. you've, been, you've been through your own, own mess and own nightmares, but when you isolate yourself and you're living with somebody who's proficient at gaslighting, you just take it on. And you think, yeah. oh, okay, well, maybe, maybe, maybe we never. Maybe had, I deserve this. Maybe we never had trust. And she would make me think when I would say some things. She, I mean, I start questioning my own reality. She's like, no, you didn't. You didn't say that. I'm like, yes, this is exactly what I said to you. Yeah, no, you didn't yep. say that. I'm like, okay, wild. Yeah. And has your has your wife responded or sorry, has your ex wife? Let's put a big fat fucking X in front of that. Has your ex? <laughs> has your, has your ex-wife responded about the book and the press that it's gotten? No, I've had no contact with, with her in over three years. Um, I think occasionally a, a troll will pop up on TikTok or Instagram or whatever, and people will go, is that her? Is that your ex-wife? So, Do you yes. know that for a fact that she knows about it? She knows about it, yeah. She, she yeah. knew about it, um, and her, her, her mom, who has since passed away, 
they both knew about it, you know? So when, when, when there was still a, some limited communication and I was still feeling a little bit, you know, punchy throughout the situation, I would send a text over the wall to them, let them know, Hey, the book's half done. Um, right. So they knew the book was coming, uh, yeah. but I've, but I've not heard, you know, she did send a text to, to my daughter whenever a couple of months ago says, yeah, I'm aware your father's book. I wouldn't write, I wouldn't wipe my butt with your father's book. He's crazy. He's insane. I've done nothing wrong. And that's part of the reason why my son eventually cut her off and said, dad, I can't deal with this. And they're 26 yeah. now and 23. He's like, I, I just can't deal with the fact that she won't accept any of this. And I'm like, yeah. she, she never will. She never will. Right. Um, oh my God, dude, I can't even imagine. <laughs> tell, um, tell everybody where they can, they can find the book. Um, I'm, I'm going to be reading it. I can tell you that much. Well, it's just, I can't believe what you've been through. Well, thank you. And I, I just, yeah, there's, there's more that I didn't unpack in there, but again, I can't thank you enough for the opportunity to be on your show. I congratulate you on all, all the success and all that you've done with your situations. Oh, thank you. Folks, if, if, if there's still maybe time, but if folks are interested in signed copies of the book, they can get it at Ballast Books, B-A-L-L-A-S-T, or it's available on Amazon, Target, Walmart, you know, Barnes and Noble. I also did narrate the audiobook myself. So there's an audiobook available as well, as well as an ebook. Folks that are interested can follow me at, at the third gift on Instagram and at the third gift on TikTok. Um, and so yeah. Amazing. Um, okay. And to, to close this out, I, we do need to circle back and touch on the arsenic. Yes. Uh, poison. Oh, what right, right. In right. the actual fuck happened with right, that. Right. I mean, that's why I kind of forgot about it. So I had been separated. I've been out of the house about a year. Okay. All the legal stuff happened, the domestic violence trials, you know, civil summons, you know, mediations, trying to maintain my sanity to work a full time job, which I did. Um, and throughout all this, I was, believe it or not, I was promoted in my, in my work somehow through the grace of God, but finally got kind of put my own medical issues on the back burner because I had other stuff going on. Finally got in front of a liver specialist. I told him everything I've been evaluated for, everything I've been tested for. He asked me about sex outside the marriage. I unloaded on the poor guy and told him everything that was going on. He said, I want to do a hair and nail test on you. So he did a hair and nail test that confirmed chronic exposure to arsenic. And I'm, I believe, um, I'm certain that she was putting it in the protein powder. So in the spring, when I started working out under the advisement of my son, he's like, dad, you're going to work out. You got to take some protein after your workouts. I'm like, great. He recommended a brand to buy that he had been taking for years. She would pull that, Gabrielle, she would pull that out of the cupboard on occasion. She'd look at me and she'd go, I know. I know that you're putting something in your protein powder. And I'm like, what are you talking about? It's hundred percent whey protein. Do you want to stand here and read what's in on the label? I mean, it was that crazy of stuff. And so oh my God. I, I know you're putting something in your protein powder. She used to question me about taking vitamin D supplements. She's like, what are you taking these for? I'm like, because it was recommended by my physician to take some extra vitamin D. She questioned everything I did. But by the time I had figured that out, people said, why wasn't she prosecuted? Why is she not in jail? She was under court order, as I was as well, to maintain the integrity of her phone, electronics, computers, what have you. Took us a year to figure out. Once we got to our alimony trial, she restored her phone to factory settings. 
After our, <laughs> after our domestic violence trial, two days after, we had a forensics expert testify to this. She restored it to factory settings and completely wiped her phone clean. She destroyed. Yeah, because that's that's not suspect at all. <laughs> right, and we 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 had a hearing on that. Uh, so we had a hearing on that before our alimony trial with the same judge. Um, and um, you know, let your your listeners and yourself read about it. What the judge's interpretation of it was that of what it was, but she also wiped four or five computers clean. So she had some help from somebody. Because when we when we when we subpoenaed emails and all that stuff, I turned over four thousand emails. Um, the work stuff was off limits. The attorney client stuff was off limits. But I turned over four thousand emails. I got fourteen one four fourteen emails from her. <laughs> wow. wow! So I had nothing. I had nothing. I had nothing to really hang it on her. I did consult. I did go to the police station. I did talk to, and they're like. Yeah, you've got what no, are they going to do? No evidence yeah. directly linking it to her. But so you believe that that's why you were losing yes. all the weight and having all the health issues because she was legit poisoning you. Yeah, and I mean, it was confirmed through a positive hair and nail test. I get evaluated every year, and I still have some enzymes uh, that remain off. And so we're just going to continue to monitor. I feel great. There's not much else I could not much else I can do about it now. But I believe she had been consistently poisoning me for a year. Fortunately, I didn't take the protein powder every day. I didn't take it as religiously as I probably should have. Thank God. Wow. Unbelievable. I can't. I'm, I'm so glad you're okay. I'm so glad you've made it through this ridiculous thing that life threw at you. And yeah. kudos to you for, for writing the book and helping other men know that, you know, they're not the only one and that yeah. it can happen to men by women because that's... Yeah. It's just insane what you've been through. Thank you. Yeah, and I want to say, I want to be real clear, is that writing the book was not to make it about a men versus you know, women thing. It's not men too versus me too. We're both equally opportunity offenders, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, the support that I've received from both females and males has been has been tremendous. So and yeah. again, I thank you for the opportunity to chat with you. So. You're so welcome. I'm a fan now. I'm so glad I, I stumbled across your, your social media and I cannot wait to dive into your book. So thank you for being here. All right. Thank you, Gabrielle. I appreciate it. Ooh, I told you it was a doozy, you guys. Um, my jaw was on the floor for half of that interview. I can't imagine the emotional and financial turmoil that that puts someone in to go through divorce proceedings and having to fight to defend yourself in a domestic violence case when you have not put a hand on someone is so horrible to me. I cannot imagine what that man has been through and to see him speak on it now and have this successful book. I can't wait to go pick it up. I encourage you guys to get it too um, because it feels like one of the dirty crime novels that everybody loves to read only it's fucking real so i i want to thank jd for coming on and sharing his truth and his story on this platform so that we can see that it's not just women that get trapped in these crazy relationships it is men too we are not going to do an FML story for this episode because Lord knows that was a giant fucking FML story if I ever heard one. As always, make sure you guys are subscribed so you never miss an episode. Remember, you can watch us on YouTube now at youtube.com slash FML Talk. Keep up with us on Instagram at FML Talk Podcast. 
And as always, have a self-love cocktail on me. Cheers, guys. Welcome to As a Woman, Fertility Hormones and Beyond. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and I am a fertility physician and co-founder of Fora Fertility in Austin, Texas. We will talk about a wide range of topics, including the menstrual cycle, your hormones, infertility, IVF, mental health, and well, beyond. So join us and become part of the community of collaboration that amplifies others as a woman. This podcast has been brought to you by Podcast Nation.